going to try not to knock that over today. Um, this morning, um, before we jump in, um, I know we've made mention of some things in the community in the past, and so just as a shout out to Maslin, uh, had a great season this year, and uh, runners up in the state division, so that's pretty awesome this Friday. Um, as well as just, um, again, Thanksgiving is right around the corner, and so I'm hoping um, you're able to do that together, and um, whether you're traveling or staying in town, um, just really excited for the week ahead for all of us to get back into some normalcy and some holiday stuff together, so um, really hoping that works out for you guys as well. We're going to be in Second Corinthians chapter 9 this morning. We're going to finish up this short little two-week series on generosity. And so we've been in chapter 8, and this week, uh, chapter 9, uh, we're going to be specifically in verses 6 through 15, if you can get there. But bef- before we jump into the text, um, vacation and generosity sometimes don't always go together, or vacation and lessons learned from vacation uh, in how you handle your finances um, typically isn't where you think of when you think of vacations. But let me just share one story from vacation and what it taught me about uh, who I am first, and then also kind of what it taught me about um, some principles that we're going to talk about this morning when it comes to generosity. So to start this trip off, uh, you have to know that we were, uh, all of us, going down to our annual uh, trip down to Myrtle Beach, and um, we started off knowing the trip was going to be a little rough and the fact that our, our CRV had lost its power, uh, it lost its air conditioning like a week or two before we were supposed to go down. And so that was kind of the first step, and we tried to line up another vehicle, but that just didn't work. And so we're like, okay, kids, we're just going to go down, and windows are going to be the air conditioning on the way down. And it was, you know, it's summer, so, you know, 80s, 90s on the way down, and turnpikes, and wind, and it was just a lot. And so, you know, you go through those turns uh, in West Virginia all the way down 77, and it's fine if you have air, but when the wind's blowing, it just adds an extra element of nauseousness, doesn't it? I mean, the, the, it's vibrating inside. Add to the fact that we had packed our vehicle, the fr- like the, the most it's ever been packed. It was like right before we left, it was one of those moments where I'm slamming the back of the CRV closed, and my wonderful wife says, maybe we should, and I said, no. And I slammed it, and I just got in the front seat. You ever been there? You know what I mean? Like, we are going on vacation, and we're going to love it, okay? And so, you know, it didn't start off well. And then we hit Virginia, and we start to have some backup, which is normal backup. But as we find out, as we're waiting and waiting and waiting for the first 20 to 30 minutes, we're wondering what's going on. And then we get news that um, this was that year that, I don't know if you've been down there or if you heard the story, that the, the tunnel between Virginia and North Carolina had caught fire. Do you remember that? And that they had shut down the entire tunnel. Yeah. So that was us. We were, we were waiting in line for that tunnel. And the windows are, are not, the air's not working, so it's just heat. And you're sitting there with the car running in the heat in mountains. And here's the other beautiful thing that we found out. You can't go anywhere because it's a mountain. <laughs> uh, there, are no, there are no roundabout. There's no exits to get off of. And add on top of that that our navigation had kind of lost signal. We had no, no cell phone signal. And so we decide, I decide, maybe <laughs> just put that out there. I decide, you know what? We're getting off. We're getting off. <laughs> that was a lot of laughter. Um, we're getting off right now. We're going to go through these. We're going to make it. It's going to be fine. And 
as we start to get off the exit, we realize that everybody else has the same plan that we do. And so everybody else is trying to go down these winding roads of Virginia, trying to make their way out and around the mountain, up and down the mountain. That's the only way you get through it is up and down the mountain. And, and, and back on to 77 at some way and shape and form. Now, this was fine until you realized that the, the conditions were set for the biggest argument of our lives, right? I mean, the heat, the kids, the traffic, the GPS signal lost, to the point where I'm, I'm starting through this turn, I'm like, where am I going? Am I going left or right? Like at that decibel, am I going left or right? And she goes, I don't know, I don't have a signal. And I was like, <laughs> and the kids are in the back like, mom and dad. We just want to go on vacation. We, we want to live. And I remember like climbing up the hill was one thing, but then I'm climbing back down the hill and I'm angry driving, which is always the best. And so you're angry driving down hills and around bankments, which you're not supposed to get that close to guardrails. But I'm like, I don't care. We're going. And like, it's just through the thing and back and forth. And I remember we got into like North Carolina, South Carolina, and it was that moment that kind of realized like we just looked at each other and were like, wow, that was bad. That was really bad. And to this day, I think that was like one of the biggest arguments we ever had in our lives. And I think it was because the pressure had built and built and built. There was no margin. There was no map and and discipline of trying to keep things under wraps and in control of like, everything's fine. We're going to make it. Discipline had went out the window at around the third turn and everyone was just like free for all. You know what I mean? Like it was just like, there was no barriers. There was no filters. There was just like, <sighs> and that was just kind of the trip down. And it taught me a couple of things. You're kind of like, well, it taught me a lot about me. That's the first thing it taught me. But it also taught me a lot of things when it comes to our finances as well, which we're going to talk about today. And here's a couple of things that it taught me, and we're going to kind of dive into here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. A map is crucial. That's the first thing it taught me. <laughs> if we didn't have a map, it was really, really irritating. And we, we took so many wrong turns and lefts and rights. Uh, margin is critical because there was little margin in the, in the car because everybody was at their peak level of anger. There was little margin winding around these turns of West Virginia, or Virginia into North Carolina. And discipline will only get you so far without the previous two. Because when it comes to our finances in particular, as we talk about generosity and being generous, here's the thing I know about you and I know about me. We all want to be more generous. We all want to be able to give financially to help somebody out. We love to do it. We want to do it. But the reality is, if we don't have a direction and a map for our finances, if we don't have margin in our finances, discipline will only get us so far, and we won't be able to be as generous as we want to be. We, we ended last week with the question of how, how generous do you wish you could be? Like, if there was no limit to your money in bank accounts, like, how generous do you wish you could be? And then we kind of just left that float because today I want to talk about some specifics about how to get to that point of generosity together. So, as you have your Bibles, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 1 through 5. Here's the context again. Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth, and he's collecting money for the church, for the people in Jerusalem and the poor. This has been like a 10-year campaign, uh, and he is now going to the Corinthian church saying, hey, you've raised money for a year. How's that going? All right, so if, if kids in the room, I know you guys are, are going to stick with me too, so I want to kind of relate it this way. It's almost as if you had this huge bank or this huge amount of money piled up and piled up and piled up and piled up, and you were going to save all of that money and you were going to give it away to people who were less 
fortunate than you. And that's what this church did. They piled a bunch of money up and they're going to give it away. And here's what Paul writes at the beginning. And there's some big words in here, so let me just kind of work through it together with you. Now, it is superfluous, that's fun, to me, for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. He's saying, you have been ready, you've been ready for the last year, and I want to just brag to the church in Macedonia, we talked about them last week, that you are ready for this. And your zeal has stirred up most of them, but I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said, you would be. I don't know if that's passive aggressive by Paul or not, but he's just kind of leading them and leading them and leading them, isn't he? I know you're ready. You're going to be ready. You're ready, right? I promise you're ready. You're going to be ready. You're ready to give it. Otherwise, if you're not ready, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you had promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. He says, I want this not to come at like this like last minute give and this pressure to keep giving. I want this to be a heartfelt emotion, like a heartfelt wanting to plan to give. Because what they had done is given them a year in advance for, for planning. And so they had a map and a plan for the money was going to go to Paul for these people in Jerusalem for their poor. And the Corinthian church as a whole, if they weren't ready, Paul said, man, it's just going to be embarrassing to them. They're going to regret it. So I want to make sure that they're ready to give, which goes to our first point this morning, and that is this. Focus on who you want to become and not the experiences you want to have. Paul says, I want this to be a focus on your heart and your, your, your character, that you are willing and ready to give as a church, and not just for a financial campaign. Does that make sense? There's a difference between just giving because we've got this big financial need and we're going to give towards it, versus being a people, a disciple of Christ who is willing to give and be generous because of you just following Christ. Being generous with your finances is not about fundraising, it's about disciple making. And we're going to talk about that a little later, but your finances are not just about this one-time give, but they're about who we are as followers of Jesus. And we asked last week how generous would you wish you'd be, and they wish you could be, and again, we said that only happens if you have the right map. And one of the things you can do that is a map that's really easy to do, that's really, I guess, practical, is simply to track your income for the last 10 weeks and just see what your income tells you. Because often we don't think our money speaks, but it really does. Um, and some of you, like, if you're like me, you don't want to do this exercise because you're scared to see where, where it goes. Um, and, and others of you, you're like, I do that on a regular basis. That's just what I do. Every 10 weeks, I kind of check my bank account and I know where we're at and I know what we're doing. But for all of us in the room, I think it's beneficial sometimes to just kind of take a look and say, okay, is it what we want it to go towards as disciples and followers of Christ? Or is it kind of owning us. And so one of the things you can do practically when we talk about a map is to track your income for 10 weeks and just ask the question, is this what we want, it, want to be said of us and our finances? Is it just about paying the bills? Is it just about living paycheck to paycheck? And, and as you do that, as you think of those 10 weeks and track those and this idea of generosity, and as you decide what you want to be known for and give to, it may be helpful to think in percentages and so one of the things that I, we've said before here when it comes to our money is, is this, is what percent of my annual income do I want to give away? What percentage do I want to save? And what percentage do I want to live on? Now, here's the reality. It's 2020. <laughs> You've been through a lot. It's been a, it's been a rough year. 
And I'm sure your finances have probably dipped and gone all over the place just because it's been that kind of year. So I'm saying giving yourself some grace in this exercise. But I would be really good for you and your spouse to sit down together and just say, you know what? As we look into 2021 and as we think of our finances of where we want to be even during the Christmas holiday season, what percentage do we want to be able to give away long term? What percentage do I want to save and what percentage do I want to live on? Carrie and I did this early on. We had little ones and we said we would love to be able to not only have a percentage that we live on, but we would love to have a percentage that obviously we give to the church as a tithe, but we would also have a love to have a percentage of our income that we have just on, on, uh, in reserve to be able to just give to a need. If somebody was to come up and say we couldn't make a, a, a house payment, we couldn't uh, make a, our, our, our meals this week or, or whatever it is, we want to be able to say, man, wouldn't it be great if we looked at our finances and we had a percentage that we were able to give away to those in need? And that was above and beyond, but it was a plan and it was a map. And so the first question that comes up in generosity is if we truly want to be generous, we have to take the practical steps in saying, what do our bank accounts say about who we are? Because the Corinthians, they had a map, they had collected for a year and they were ready. And they were ready to give their gift to Paul and they were ready to show their generosity. And Paul is coming to them saying, I'm ready to receive this gift. Because here's the main point he's trying to get at, and here's where we want to land this morning, even on one of the main points as well, and this he gives in verse 6. So he talks about, I'm coming to receive this gift, and then he says this in verse 6. Here's the point of why I'm coming. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He says, I want you to know that, I'm, that this whole thing is truly not so much about how much you give, but it's truly about your heart and how much you're willing to trust God with your finances and in your generosity. And he says, in order to sow bountifully, it's this agricultural idea. So sowing means this, for those who are in the room, you're like, is he talking about like sowing, like sow a shirt? No, he's talking about if you were to go out into a garden and if you were to plant a bunch of seeds in that garden, you could, you could sow sparingly, which means you could put like one or two seeds in that entire garden and say, well, we don't really have enough seeds. We're going to hopefully, this one seed will make this plant and this plant will give us like 10 things of fruit on it, hopefully. Or you could say, I'm going to sow bountifully, which means I'm going to go out and I'm just going to, if you've been there before, you just kind of just walk out in the garden, you just throw seeds everywhere. You're just like, I hope something grows. <laughs> and, and you throw a bunch of seeds out because those seeds are eventually going to grow something in that garden. He's saying, I want you to go out in that garden and I want you to start tossing seeds in that garden because I want you to sow bountifully or a lot so that you get a lot of fruit as a result of what you've sown. And he says the same is true in our finances. If you sow bountifully, then you will reap bountifully, he says. And in order to sow bountifully, not only do we need a map, but we also say we also need margin in our life. Margin, like the hills in Virginia, are exciting for a while and they're fun to navigate, but the longer we're on the road without margin, the more dangerous they become. <laughs> Isn't that true? Like the longer you have less margin in your life in any area, but including your finances, the less margin you have, the more irritating it becomes and ultimately the more dangerous it can become. The same is true in our finances. Living without margin is fun for a while, but eventually becomes irritating. And if not irritating, it ultimately becomes dangerous. And so the same is true in our finances. If we don't have any margin, if we have no give, we're going to come to that point somewhere along the way where we just feel that stress and that pressure. And you may feel that already this week, this month, this year, where you're kind of like, our finances are so stinking tight. Yeah, I'd love to give, Joel, but I'm telling you, man, they have been super tight. We're just trying to make it. 
right now. We're not trying to give. We're just trying to make it. To which I can say, amen, I understand. And I would just say, as you look at your finances and think about it, I want you to pray and ask, God, what, what would it look like for us to have margin? And how can we get there? God, God, how can you make this true that we, we so spare, we reap, or so we so bountifully and we reap bountifully? God, how do you make that true in our finances? Because I want to be a giver. I want to be a cheerful giver, but it's, it's hard because there's no margin in our life. And let me say this. You can be generous with or without margin. I just know from experience it's way more enjoyable when there's margin than when there's not <laughs> to give. And God loves, again here, a cheerful giver. So he says, so bountifully to the person, he says, so bountifully to the person you want to become and not just the experiences that you want to have. Now, there's a map, there's margin, and in those two, in our finances, we need both. But ultimately, I think within that map, there needs to be a discipline or a, a feeling of discipleship in that. So let me explain what I mean by that. As you grow and mature in your relationship with Jesus Christ, we are hoping that you not only mature and grow in your devotion life, right? That, that I ha- I'm in my Bible far more than I ever have been. I'm reading more than I ever have been. I hope that as you mature in Jesus Christ, that you're praying more than you ever have before and that your prayer life is growing as you mature to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We hope that you are being more open and authentic with brothers and sisters in Christ and you're able to share and grow in that area. We hope that you're growing in your disciplines, And I really hope that along the way that we don't exclude our finances or our giving as part of that discipline. Because as you mature in Jesus Christ, it's not just about a financial campaign. And I'm not going to be asking you guys for money today. That's not the point. Um, I'm just saying that as you grow and mature in your finances or in your relationship with Jesus Christ, you also mature in how you give. I was reading an article, and in this uh, example he used uh, was really, really helpful, I thought. And he says, if you look at it like a ladder, um, I'm going to read this because it's hard to see. But if you, if you think of it as a ladder and as you mature in your growth, your finances should come the same way. The first time giving could be, I have never given before. And so that first give that you have given to the church um, or, or to generosity or, or to anybody and, and specifically um, to any organization or whatever, you just give the, out of a heart of giving. That's awesome. That, that's a test. That's a, that's, a, that's a sign of growth in Christ. If you're able to give for the first time, that's to be celebrated. When you give for the first time here, I send you a letter to say, thank you so much for giving. I don't know how much you give, but for the first, give, first time givers, I always want to send a letter out to say thank you for growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ to trust him enough with your finances to do so. And then as you grow from the first time gift, maybe you grow into an occasional giver where I give but not consistently. In other words, I don't really have a plan, but when I have extra money left over, then I'll give towards the church. Awesome, growth, great development. And, and, and for some of us, we're growing in our relationship with Christ and we're at that level. Others, you said, you know what, I've, I've grown past that. I used to be that, but now I'm giving intentionally. I give consistently, but less than 10% of my income. It's intentional. I give it weekly and it's there, but it's, it's not 10%. And I want to grow to that. I'm not there yet. I'm trying to get there. I'm trying to mature in that, but I'm not there yet. And so I'm just giving intentionally. We understand that you're growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And we want that to be part of the, the growth as well. And then there's tithing, which I faithfully give 10% of my income. And I've grown and matured just finances because Paul is saying here, I want a cheerful giver, not one who's giving just because they have to give. 
Verses 8 and 12, he continues this way. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, that's important, you want to highlight that, that, that he says this grace, this grace of finances here in particular to this chapter in context, he says, is, is I will have all sufficiency, all things, all times, so that you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He says, as you do this, you're not doing this alone. God says, I will supply all the sufficiency, all things, all times, so that you may abound in every good work. And then he says this, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So he says, as you're thinking about the garden scene, I want you to think that God is the one supplying all the seeds and he's given those to you so that you could sow bountifully. And then he says this, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. I love that. He says, you will supply so that we can be generous, so that that generosity will be thanksgiving back to God. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. You see, generosity is not about you being the hero of the story. Can I say that again? You giving in relationship to your growth in Christ is not about you being the hero of the story because ultimately all of our bank accounts combined are a drop in the bucket to what God has, right? And so the hero in this story is not the Corinthian church, which the Corinthian church, as messed up as they were, they probably thought they were the hero of the story. Look at us. Look at how much money we're giving more than Macedonians. Look at what we're doing. God, Paul, God through Paul is saying the generosity is not about you being the hero. It's about Jesus being the hero because Jesus is the only one who supplies the seeds and the finances in order for you to give. So money seems to have this effect. It makes us all about us and it makes life about us and it causes worry and stress because we're ultimately the ones in charge of our finances. But God puts it in another perspective. He says, it's not about what you are doing. It's not about your money. It's about what God does. It's God's money and God can do what he can only he can do through your finances. Matthew six twenty four says, no one can serve two masters for either you hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and the devil. No, uh, you cannot serve both God and money. You would think he would say Satan, but it's all reality. He knew that money has this effect on our hearts. And he says, you cannot serve them both. And Paul is reminding us and he's reminding the church in Corinth, our finances are not ultimately about us. It's about Jesus Christ. And it's about him supplying the needs on our behalf. So to finish out, let me just kind of give you one more story from the book of Mark that I think is awesome when it talks about Jesus being the hero of our finances and that God's not limited by your amount of money you have, God's not uh, held back, and God can do whatever he wants to do with your finances. Finances, I'm going to tie into this idea of fish and loaves in the book of Mark. There's this beautiful story in Mark chapter 6 and also in Mark chapter 8. And you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but Mark chapter 6 and Mark chapter 8, I think is this beautiful example of this idea of God being in charge and supplying all that we need. In Mark chapter 6, there's a story of the feeding of the the 5,000. And in Mark 6, after the feeding of the 5,000, they have five loaves of bread and two fish. Uh, and that's all that they have to supply this huge population of 5,000 people with a meal. You've, you've heard this story before. You know this story, right? And then they end up miraculously feeding 5,000 people. 
And, that, and, and to put that in perspective, 5,000 people is about 15,000 pounds of food. So I don't know how, many is in your, how much is in your cupboard right now getting ready for Thanksgiving, but uh, I'm going to guess it's not 15,000 pounds. Um, 15,000 pounds of food, food, and it was probably more than that because of the families and the fact that Mark tells us that they had, of that, five loaves, two fish. They had 12 basketfuls left over. So, skipping ahead then to Mark chapter 8, Jesus feeds 4,000 people, as we read. And in verse 5, they only had bread this time, and they had seven baskets to start. And in verse 8, we read, And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven basketfuls. Now, I want to read the rest of the story for you, because there's two different stories. Again, bread supplied by God for these people to feed 5,000, to feed 4,000. And then we get this amazing story at the end of um, chapter 8, beginning in uh, verse 10. And immediately he, Jesus, got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmathuna. And in verse 11... The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed, this is Jesus, and Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Verse 14, this is so the disciples, I love this. Now the disciples, they, now they had forgotten to bring bread, I don't know how they did that, but they just fed 4,000 people. They get in the boat, and then they don't have They realize, hey, we didn't bring any leftovers with us, okay? So they got in the bread. They didn't bring any bread. And they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Okay, we have bread. Now he's telling us to beware of the ingredients in the bread that were put in there, apparently, by the Pharisees and Herod. Okay, so something's bad in the bread, and immediately their brain, probably everybody in the boat, looks to that loaf of bread in the boat, and they're kind of like, I ain't, I ain't eating the bread. You eating the bread? I don't want the bread. Apparently the Pharisees inherited puts on the bread. And they begin discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. <laughs> now, I love stories like this because it makes the disciples feel a lot more like me. Because Jesus is trying to make the point here, and they aren't getting it. All they know is that apparently they're not supposed to touch the bread and there's not enough bread. When they just fed 5,000 people, 4,000 people, they're in a boat with one loaf of bread. If anybody can make the one loaf of bread explode in the boat and sink the boat, it's Jesus, the guy in the boat. But they decide that they're going to look at the bread and say, who, who, who forgot to bring the bread? Did you forget to bring the bread? Probably John. John was over there being nice and loving to everybody. He probably forgot the bread. Peter, where were you? Why didn't you bring the bread? And nobody brought the bread. And Jesus aware of this said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? (laughs) I love this. He says this in verse 19. Do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? They said to him, sheepishly, I'm sure, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And I said to him sheepishly again, seven, seven, we picked up seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? The Pharisees and Herod and everybody around wants these miraculous signs of bread. 
but they're going to go away hungry because they don't care about me. They don't know that I'm the supplier of the bread. And you, my disciples, in the boat with this loaf of bread, stop looking at the bread. <laughs> I'm the bread. I, I can make that into whatever you want it to be because I am Christ. So don't keep focusing on the bread. And our point in this is, is simply even with our finances, how often do we look at Jesus and be like, yeah, but Jesus, look, we only have this. To which he looks at us and says, do you, do you remember who I am though? I get that. I get that. I understand. But do you know how many baskets were left over? Twelve. How many baskets were left over the second time? Seven. Who did that? You. <laughs> yeah, I did that. And, and I am the one to be followed. Do you not yet understand? It's not about the bread. It's not about the finances. It's about our hearts and growing in passion and love for Jesus that makes us more generous. It's not about the bread. It's about Jesus because ultimately Jesus is the one that is the winner in this story. He is the hero in this story. Paul ends in 9, 13 to 15. He says this, By their approval of the service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. He says, if you get the fact that Jesus is the hero, if you get the fact that Jesus is the one who supplies, he says, then all of the approval of this giving of these money to this church in Jerusalem, it won't marvel at the amount of money that was given. They will, this is key, glorify God because of your submission that comes through your confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we give generously, it's not about you being the hero and look how much you've given. It's about Jesus Christ and saying, you know what? I didn't want to give. I had every reason not to give to Jesus and his mission and his church, but I gave, and it was because I put myself under submission of Jesus Christ. I didn't want to. I didn't know how it was going to work out. I put myself underneath the authority of Jesus and said, Jesus, if you can multiply this like you did the bread and the fish, then I'm, I'm in. I want to give you what I have so that others would marvel at your submission that comes from the gospel or the confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That's the key. Jesus is the hero. Jesus knows what you need. Jesus makes bread appear from nothing. And Jesus can be trusted with our desire to be more generous. And with that being said, let me give you some practicals and some options then as we think about Christmas and as we think about what is to come here in the holiday season. Um, we, we talk about finances and being generous, and I think it, it might be uh, advantageous to just kind of say, here's some things that as you think about this holiday season that you can be praying about and thinking about, how can I give generously towards? And so first off, there's this uh, continued support uh, to Community Bible Church. I think that's just a general given. Um, we... Uh, we want to make that a discipline in our lives as we grow in Christ to support your local church so that ministries can happen, so that we can continue to have outreach and ministry into the community. Um, and then th that's kind of the, that's kind of the um, 
how do I phrase it? It's kind of like the not fun option. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not like the big glamorous give, the one-time give to something amazing and miraculous. This is kind of that ongoing give that you just kind of give and you give and you give and there's, it's just kind of a routine. You're like, yeah, I don't, it's not a huge amazing thing, but, but it is. And it's, it's allowing us to have impact and do ministry here in this community and, and abroad. Um, one of the things that even is going out is, has been support and, and hope for the church out in Medford, which just as a side note, they had um, called last week and just be praying for them as they are now under restrictions for two weeks that every church, synagogue, mosque, whatever you call it in Oregon is now under a 25-person limit. And so they cannot gather in church even, they've been told, uh, unless it's 25 people or under. And so uh, that's kind of crazy. And so they are now navigating those waters out there as a church in Medford and uh, asked you to pray for Kirk and the decisions that they have to make along those, those paths. Um, but that just kind of helps to give towards the, the church itself. The other thing that uh, is a need that's coming up uh, towards the end of the year is counseling prevention. And let me just, exp- I want to kind of be... Um, cloaked here a little bit because uh, this, is, this isn't anything that's kind of like shady or anything like that, but it's, it's just one of those things that uh, we have an opportunity to be part of counseling within a public sphere, uh, and as we give towards that, um, counseling is happening because we're able to partner with a counseling agency that's working with teenagers in a very public place, and, and, and we want to continue to be able to do that. And just as a story of what your funds did, when we talk about continued support to Community Bible Church, here's what your funds did this year and, and part of last year. Your funds helped with this counseling to save three students' lives who came in and said, we do not have uh, the ability to pay insurance for counseling, but my kid needs counseling because they're, they're on the verge. And you your funds and finances helped to give these kids an opportunity to turn from death to life and to truly put the things of, of suicide behind and have hope. And your finances did that. And so there's another need that they're asking for $400. And if you decide to give that way, then you could just mark counseling prevention and we'll make sure it gets there. But, but that's just kind of above and beyond. If you're looking for extra things to support, they're about $400 shy this year as far as that support. And then next year, we're picking them up as a missionary again. Uh, we're picking up the counseling agency next year as well and supporting them as a missionary next year, which is really exciting for us to be a part of something local in our community that is helping to save kids' lives through the purpose of counseling for those who can't afford counseling. And so that's awesome that you're doing and as an opportunity. The other thing that is um, able to give is if you wanted to give, there's another opportunity that was given to us from Hannah's House, which is a place in Akron that helps um, disadvantaged youth, especially young girls, um, find housing and safety and security where they otherwise would not find it. And so they're asking for $10 Walmart gift certificates. And if you decide, hey, I would love to give a $10 Walmart gift certificate, we could do that. You could bring that into the church or you can give that to uh, Amber Zwick as well. uh, And she can collect those. But we're we're just taking up donations as possible for those. If you feel like I want to give towards the holidays or kids in the room, this is really cool for you, right? If you're a kid in the room and you're kind of like, what do I do to give? I don't have any money. I don't have a job. I'm not working 40 hours a week. Good for you. That's awesome. I'm hoping you're not because that's called child labor laws and that's illegal. Uh, so that's, that's good that you're not working. However, if you were to say, hey, mom, hey, dad, uh, that guy up on front, he, he talked a lot all morning. He's 
still talking. Um, but that guy talked a lot. And one of the things he talked about was the ability to give a gift this Christmas. And so maybe for you, a kid in the room, you would say, hey, you know what? Instead of you buying me another gift for 10 bucks, I mean, I still want gifts, so don't, don't, take, don't get me wrong. But if, if, you, if, you get, if, if I got a gift and, and if it was a $10 gift, could you just give that away to this Hannah's house so that this young girl could have some help and support this Christmas? I would love for you to do that. I would love you, mom and dad, to take one of my gifts and, and make it a Walmart gift certificate for this, for this kid. That would be awesome. So that could be an interesting way you do as well. Um, the other one may be your neighbor's. Uh, and, and just being able to give gifts to them. Here's, here's what I would offer to you as well. If you decide that you want to give out to your neighbors, <laughs> if you want to give out to your neighbors uh, in need, um, sorry, I was just an inside joke I just thought about. Uh, but if you want to give out to your neighbors in need, what we will do is actually give you, we have those loving to neighbor life cups. Um, and if you want to take one of those, Ashley doesn't know this yet, but I'm going to do this anyway. If you want one of those, not for yourself, okay? Look, Merry Christmas to me, okay? Um, they didn't want it. I left it on their doorstep and they never came. It was weird. So I just took it home, okay? But if you want to give one of those away and fill it with, with candy or a gift certificate or something to give out towards the holidays, I, I'm making that commitment to you guys now. You can take one of those. We'll give you a mug, take it to a neighbor, fill it with whatever you want, and drop it off. That'd be a great way to love your neighbors during this Christmas season. Could be your coworkers. I know some of you who are going above and beyond with your coworkers. And lastly, uh, it could be even not just coworkers, but those in the, in the medical professional field right now. You guys, our first responders and others, are working a ton, a ton, a ton of overtime. And those nurses in the room right now who are working a ton of overtime and putting themselves at risk every single week, we say thank you so much to you. And maybe it's just a gift to them to say thanks for taking care of us in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of numbers being like crazy high right now, and you having to work all this overtime, okay? It could be just a gift that way and being generous that way. And, and lastly, it could be, again, kids in the room. Maybe it's not Hannah's house for you, but we did this when our kids were young as well. When we talk about generosity, is World Vision always comes out with those magazines. And so there was one year we bought goats. Uh, there was one year we bought chickens. And there was one year we bought, I don't know what we bought. Uh, but there was the thing, we actually just took the toy catalog and then we took the World Vision catalog and we said, you can pick three things from this and you can pick two things from this World Vision catalog. And what they did every year was just awesome is they were just able to take the catalog and they would say, you know what? I want to buy water or goats or chickens or whatever it is to help this person around the world. And part of their money went towards that and they get a little certificate that says, man, this is what I gave towards. So there's a ton of ways to be generous this Christmas uh, season. But I'm just going to ask you specifically to say, you know what? It's not about the gift. It's about the heart that gives it. And Paul reminds us is about the cheerful giver and how we give. And as we mature in Jesus, may we mature in our finances at the same time. Let me pray for you and close us out. And uh, thank you so much for the kids being in here this morning. You guys did awesome today. And uh, we'll get you guys out of here. God, thanks so much for this morning. Um, God, we don't fully know what you have planned for us in this Christmas season, but we do know that you have been gracious to us. You have been overly generous to us. And God, we want to be able to be generous in return. And so we pray that over these next uh, four weeks, uh, God, that you would, just, you would just put in our hearts and our minds who we need to be generous towards. And may we give um, some out of uh, probably a hard needs that we maybe currently are struggling financially. And uh, God, we don't want to diminish that at all. May we as a church come alongside them. But God, ultimately, if there's ways that we can give uh, this Christmas, I pray that we would do it and a way to be generous to those around us so that we can then uh, look back and say, man, if it wasn't for God in our life, if it wasn't for him, then we would have nothing to give. And we thank you for that. 
Um, we thank you for this uh, week coming up. We thank you for Thanksgiving. We pray that it would just be an encouraging time around tables with families uh, to able just to be together again uh, and celebrate uh, what you've given to us. God, lastly, um, for those who are gathering around the holiday season, for those that this is going to be a harder Thanksgiving, we pray, God, that you would um, be sustaining them as well. For those who realize that they maybe lost loved ones this year or are gathering in a different way this Christmas than they they did before, Thanksgiving than they did before, we pray that you be generous in meeting them emotionally where they are. We pray that you be gracious in giving them um, peace of mind that they they don't normally have in the midst of loss. We ultimately give it to you, knowing you're in charge, and we thank you for it. It's in your powerful name we pray. Amen. As we close out, last thing is this. Next week starts Christmas here, so uh, stage is going to look a lot different. Things are going to look a lot different, and we're going to be ready to jump right into Christmas next week. So hopefully join us for that. So thanks so much for being here. Have a great week. Happy Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks.